You are listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. We invite you to join us on the exciting journey of following Jesus and bringing the kingdom of God wherever we go. This episode was recorded at the Vineyard Nordic Summer Camp. I'm so glad to have a microphone this year. It was kind of hard last year having to talk loud enough so everyone in the back can hear. I don't know about you, but I was so encouraged by Eleanor's talk this morning, helping us to understand our roots, where we came from. This is something we need to be very careful about, that we don't lose that. One thing uh, John Wimber said, uh, even before he started the vineyard, when he was studying church growth, he said, every denomination after 40 years will decline unless they have learned to reproduce and to plant and to renew themselves. And so we are at that age right now, and we have to be careful as a movement to not fall from our own DNA and the values that we have been given to steward. And uh, even now, when you travel around the world, and if you have a chance to visit uh, <clears throat> vineyard churches in different continents or countries, you will notice that there's a distinct flavor, a cultural flavor, which is very positive and very good. But even now, I know in the U.S., they, they have what's called classic vineyard, <laughs> kind of like the classic Coke, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> where they try to do things the way they did it 40 years ago. Well, there are other vineyards that have become much more maybe seeker-sensitive or more conservative. Uh, I had a, a man approach me when we were working as missionaries in Thailand. He was an American missionary, and we were chatting, and I told him that I was from the vineyard. And he said, oh, vineyard. Yeah, I've been to one of those. It's like a Baptist church, but the music was better. <laughs> so there you go. So anyway, that's who we are. But there has been now a new stream of revelation come to all the churches and also to, to us in the vineyard. And it has to do with creating a healthy balance between doing the things out there that we are supposed to be doing, but also taking care of our own soul. Because, as we all know, if we don't manage that balance, then there will be issues, there will be problems along the way. So for the past six years, this is my seventh camp, um, I've been trying to talk kind of as a counterbalance a little bit, not for the sake of becoming introverted, not for the sake of stop doing what we need to be doing out there, but just as a, as a way to try to keep us healthy along the journey. And so... This talk, actually, I gave uh, in Copenhagen at the summit, and I don't know if anyone was there, um, because then you would hear it again. Uh, sorry. <laughs> the reason I'm sharing it again is because it weighs so heavily on my soul. The reality that we are in trouble, N not as a church, I mean as a, as a society, as a culture, as a as a human tribe, we are in trouble, and we don't know it. 
we're not aware of it because it came upon us very slowly and it's still coming and it's, it is one of the works of the enemy to try to pull us down. What I'm talking about is just the very fact how we have been influenced by the media and the internet to a degree that is no longer healthy. Um, I guess there are not many people in this room that remember, or they grew up completely under the internet. I guess most of us are old enough that we maybe remember a time when there was no internet, or at least it was not as widespread as it is today with our fancy phones and all that. But the generation now that is following us, that's all they ever known. I look at my own grandchildren, and they look at smartphones at the age of two, looking at YouTube clips. I mean, it's starting earlier and earlier and earlier. And there's something about it that we don't understand, which is a tremendous danger to us, because we were not created for this. We were not created to, to live with that kind of distraction. Um, and the result is, of course, more and more problems, not just among the young generation, but all of us. Last week, I was watching the news, Swedish news, and they were talking about the educational system in Sweden, how um, they have to create more and more special schools now and, and tracks for young people with psychological issues. And they said the need for these special schools have, has risen by 800% in the last two years. It's 800%. They're talking about they need to train more teachers, they need to have special classes, they need to have special schools, because the children of today can no longer cope with the educational system the way it is right now. Their attention span is getting shorter and shorter. They are constantly distracted by, by other things. They're not used to sitting and listening to an hour of teaching and going home and writing a sensible assignment on it. It's just, it's just harder and harder. And I think that we as a church... We need to be aware of that, because it doesn't just affect our children, it doesn't just affect the way we live our lives, it also affects our spiritual life. And that's what I want to be talking about. We need to be aware that this is not good for our spirit and for our soul. And so, I will be sharing a lot of different things, and I know it will not apply to all of you, but I have a sense that there are things that you will grasp and know that this is God speaking to me right now. This is one area where I need to be careful. This is one place where I am in danger. So these psychological issues are increasing in an alarming rate, affecting believers as much as unbelievers. There is an epidemic of anxiety-related sickness, burnout, suicide, and if we think that it will not affect us in any way, then we are a little bit naive, because it, it will. Let me just start with a couple of quotes here. Some of you may have heard of Dallas Willard, who passed away not that long ago. He used to say, if you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart after a while. Um, and it is true. Henry Nouwen says it like that. Our life is full of brokenness, broken relationships, 
broken promises, broken expectations. How can we live with that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful, except by returning again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives? And this is really what we are talking about. We need the presence of God in our lives. And the enemy is using distraction and information overload to keep us from that. And so if we don't learn to create some kind of balance, we will suffer, all of us. It will have an effect on us. And it's most likely a negative one. Um, We all like invitations, don't we? Well, to some degree. There are different kinds of invitations. Sometimes we get an invitation to go to a birthday party, and we'd rather stay home and do something else. But we don't want to disappoint our friends, so we, you know, we go. So there are invitations that are kind of, uh, in a sense, manipulative, because we, we feel we cannot stay away from this event, because for whatever reason I feel I have to go. But if we had a choice, we would probably rather do something else. But then there are other kind of invitations. Invitations that are without manipulation, something so so grand, so wonderful, that you can't wait to go and, and meet that invitation. Um, I'm talking about invitations um, without coercion, without guilting, um, no manipulation, just an open-hearted welcome and the freedom to say yes or no. Well, Jesus did that when he was walking with his disciples through Israel, ministering to multitudes and multitudes of people. Um, they were so surprised when one day in Mark 8, 30-31, he said, uh, let me read it to you from the, from the message. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus and reported on all that they had done and taught. Jesus said, come away by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. Sounds a bit like some of our lives. <laughs> constant coming and going. Sometimes there isn't even time to eat. And already back then, Jesus recognized the need for rest. The need for retreat. And he said, come away. Come away from it all. So this invitation is actually an invitation from God to us today. This is still Jesus talking to us, saying, come away with me for a while. I know you need it. I know you want it. And I want to be with you in a very special way. So we're talking about an invitation to retreat. And what we don't mean by that is the kind of retreat that we all are used to, either through work or through church. It usually ends up being a very uh, busy event. You know, we've all done it. Leaders' retreats and men's retreats and women's retreats and couples' retreats and at work, team-building retreats and blah, blah, blah. And it's not, it's anything but a retreat. It's usually just packed full with, you know, with program and teaching and exercises and this and this and this. It's not usually a very restful event. 
I'm not even talking about the kind of spiritual retreat that some of us have been attending, the kind of retreats that I myself lead from time to time because I, I recognize the value of time set aside for the nourishment of our souls. No, I'm, we are talking about a personal retreat as a spiritual practice, an extended time, and we talk about that later, what that could look like, an extended time apart for the purpose of, live, of being with God and giving God our full and undivided attention, a generous commitment to our friendship with God. Because there comes a time in every believer's life when we yearn for more of God than our schedules will allow. And I think even now, as I'm, as I'm talking about this, um, some of you feel a desire in your heart rise up. This sounds so good. <laughs> this sounds actually exactly like what I need right now. But how can I? There's just no time. Our lives have become so busy. How could we ever set aside a day, a few days, a week, to just be with God? But to be honest, that's exactly what we need. And I will be trying to unpack that a little bit more. But first of all, the word retreat, the way I want to use it in this particular teaching is actually not an event, but it, is, it comes from the military language of warfare. This is a painting by a French artist about uh, one of the French wars with Napoleon, and as you can see, they are retreating from the front line, because if they keep on fighting, they know they would have no chance to overcome the enemy. And so we're talking about a strategic retreat. When you know that you fought so hard and the battle has been so rough and you just know that if I keep on, I will be defeated. And it's not a sign of weakness. It's not a sign, sign of a lack of faith to just say, you know what, I need, to, I need to step back from this. I need to regroup. I need to rethink my vision. I need to rethink my life. I need to just get away from this for a while in order to re-engage in the warfare at some later point in life or next week, whatever the case. And so this is what I'm trying to challenge you with today, is to have this kind of retreat um, from time to time in your life. It's because... We need to pull back from danger. Oh, wow. Many of us, we carry the wounds of the battles, don't we? Scars. We have become either oversensitive or just numb. We act like Rambo and soldier on and hope that time will heal all things. And there are things that time cannot heal. Did you hear that? There are things that time alone will not heal. You're carrying the, the wounds of a warfare, maybe from your childhood, and you're hoping that somehow it will all go away. And yes, when we come to Christ, there is a change. I'm not saying that 
um, not in any way denying you know, the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts when we commit our lives to Him. Yes, there is change. Yes, there is transformation. But as I've said many, many times before, but there are things that God will not do without our cooperation. There are things that will not happen on autopilot as much as we would love for that to be true. There are things we need to engage in. There are things that we need to confront head on and invite the Holy Spirit to come, heal us, restore us, build us up, whatever it is that we might need. So if you feel in any way at all that this sounds kind of attractive to you, well then this is the invitation from the Holy Spirit to you today. As Jesus said to his disciples, he he wants to communicate to you, come away for a while and rest. Come and be with me for a while. It's becoming more and more difficult to do that in our hectic lives. So we carry those wounds and we need to pull back. We are on the front lines. I'm, I'm amazed sometimes how, how, how ignorant we can be as God's people to not understand that we are in a constant war. And there is no neutral ground. We are either in the kingdom of God or we are in the kingdom of darkness. There is no in-between. And if you are in the kingdom of God, you have painted a big target on your heart for the enemy to come after you. Because he does not want you to remain part of the kingdom. He wants you to come back out under his control and power. So we are living targets. And we do have an enemy who goes around like a lion. Seeking whom he may devour, as it says in the old King James. He wants to destroy you. And if he can't do it in one shot, which is very difficult for him to do, he will do it bit by bit by bit, a little bit at a time. And this is the danger that we're in, because when that happens, we don't recognize it. If someone runs up to you with a knife or a gun, you know you are opposing an, an enemy, and you either run or fight, or whatever it is you, you need to do. But if an enemy comes with subtle suggestions, little thoughts, little distractions, you don't notice it. And before you know it, you're worn down to a level where you are so weak in your soul that you can no longer connect with God on the level that you want to be with Him and He wants to be with you. And Paul says it quite well. You probably can't read that in the back. Uh, in Ephesians 6, 10-12. And again, I'm reading from the message. I'm, I like the different approach of a different translation, not because it's the most accurate, because it's not but it just helps sometimes to open our eyes to different angles of the word. And that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, put them to use so you will be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we will walk away from and forget in about a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Not to sow any fear in our hearts, but this is a life and death battle that we are engaged in. 
And so we need to recalibrate from time to time. We need to rethink our way how we are interacting with God. Because if we don't, chances are that we will fall back. Maybe not completely, but we will never turn out to be the men and women that God has designed us to be from the front before the foundation of this world. There is a real danger, and some of us actually are on the brink of disaster. Someone said, we are distracted to death, <laughs> out of touch with our human existence. And one of the dangers of living in a constant state of distraction is that we never go to the bottom of our pain, our sadness and our emptiness. There is an American uh, journalist, blogger, activist, I'm not quite sure what to call him. His name is Andrew Sullivan. He's, as far as I know, he's not a believer. But he has some interesting insight because he confesses to be um, an addict of the Internet, or at least he was. And he wrote actually an article called, I Used to Be a Human Being. <laughs> he talks about his addiction to technology and how he was in denial about how his addiction to the web was affecting his life. And interestingly enough, he offers advice to the church. Now, he's not, as far as I know, a churchgoer, but he must have been to church because he says this. If the churches came to understand that the greatest threat today is not hedonism. Hedonism is um, the pursuit of pleasure and indulgence. He said this is not the greatest enemy, but distraction. And perhaps they might begin to appeal to a frazzled digital generation. Christian leaders seem to think that they need more distraction to counter distraction. And their services have degenerated into emotional spasms. Their space drowned with lights and noise and a threat to our souls. A little bit harsh, but I think he is onto something. There was a time when church was very different from what it is like today. There was a time when services were filled with contemplation, with silence, liturgy, and it was all about God. And it has changed, because today it's mainly about us. Our tastes, our preferences, in music, in teaching, who we like to listen to, who we don't like to listen to. And it's just non-stop program, distracting us even more in a world where we are already overcome with distraction from all other sources in life. Something worth thinking about. We are dangerously tired. There are two kinds of tiredness. We all know the feeling of maybe having been and worked out or worked on the car or the deck. It was something that made you physically tired, but you just feel good about it. You accomplished something. It's a good kind of tired. We know that. But there's a bad kind of tired. That is dangerous to us. And it, does, it comes slowly upon us. It doesn't usually come in a moment. It comes slowly and it wears us down. It accumulates over a longer period of time in which we are constantly living beyond our human limits, functioning outside our giftedness and not paying attention to the sources of our exhaustion. And so when we are so dangerously tired, we are unable to be our best selves. 
makes it difficult to make wise decisions and to give ourselves freely to others. And our bodies may begin to break down under the stress and strain of it all. It's so common when we talk to people that we haven't seen for a while and we ask them, how are you? And we really mean it, not just as a hello. <laughs> 80, I think the chances are that 80% of the time the answer will be, I'm tired. I'm worn out. I need a rest. It's becoming a, an epidemic in our culture. We are constantly tired. But why is that? Have you ever thought about that? What makes us so exhausted? Is it that we work more today than we did 200 years ago? I don't think so. People were used to work 12 hours in the fields. And they were less depressed than we are in many ways. So what is it really that makes us so tired? I'd like to make some su suggestions um, and hope it, maybe you will find yourself in, in some of these. Why are we so tired? Well, there's one of them could be we are functioning out of an unreasonable sense of obligation. Mm -hmm. This is something we Christians suffer from. We think that we need to be this wellspring of love you know, at all times. We need to be the perfect parents. We need to be the perfect friends. We need to be the perfect leaders. And so this, this pressure rests on us. Uh, we feel guilty when we don't perform. We feel guilty when we, when we are tired, when we are grieving, when we are confused. We feel guilty. And we shove down these human aspects of ourselves. And by doing so, unhealed emotion and exhaustion gets buried alive. But they will make themselves known in ugly and destructive ways somewhere down the road. Another one, we find it difficult, humiliating to receive help from others. Peter had a hard time letting Jesus wash his feet. Because he saw himself as the servant. And we are servants of the Most High God. But Jesus wanted to make a point by saying, well, let me wash your feet. And Peter would have none of it at first. Why is that? Once we identify as a servant, we almost forget how to let ourselves be served, especially by someone higher and greater than ourselves. If you've ever been part of a foot washing service, I have had the, oh, I don't know, I should say pleasure, the experience, I've had the experience, let's put it that way, of uh, being part of several foot washing services. Something special about it. But most people would agree it's easier to wash someone else's feet than let them wash yours. If you wash somebody else's feet, you are still in control. But to let someone wash something as uncomely as our feet is very humiliating and we don't like it. It goes against our nature. And so sometimes that makes us tired because we want to be in control. We, we don't want to allow anyone to serve us because it doesn't feel right somehow, just like it didn't feel right for Peter that Jesus would want to wash his feet. I still think that today Jesus wants to, wants to wash your feet. There are times when he wants to say, okay, you have served me, now let me serve you. 
because he knows the need of our soul more than we do. And yet we find it so hard to accept that and to receive that. We feel under the constant pressure to, you know, to be the perfect Christian in this world. So that wears us down, makes us tired. We might be living more as performer than the person God has created. So many of us think that we are only of any value as long as we perform. And this is the lie that we live under in our society, in our culture. We are measured, we are rated by our performance, never by simply who we are. Let me read this to you. Listen carefully. When we are doing things because we think we should, we are reacting and responding to something outside of ourselves. Okay? Authentic desire, on the other hand, comes from within and is part of who we are. So many times we are reacting to the demands of our work, of our church, of our friends, of our families, of our culture, of our society. It's not really something we would like to do, but the pressure is on, and you perform. And whenever that happens, it makes us tired. <clears throat> on the other hand, we all know, sometimes if you have a special, uh, maybe a special hobby, or just something you really, really love to do, it doesn't wear you down, does it? You can, you can work for hours restoring your old car and you, you feel invigorated or whatever it is you do because it comes from within. When it comes from within, you have energy and you don't get tired, at least not nearly as much as if you just keep doing what everyone else is expecting from you to do. So, we get to that a bit later, how we can maybe adjust that, but I'm just right now pointing out things that lead to our constant tiredness. Another one, big one, we are carrying the great burden of unhealed wounds, sadness, unresolved tension, toxicity in one or more of our relationships. We've been told that a good Christian should be able to handle everything with grace. Some of us don't even know that we are allowed to grieve, that we are allowed to... Uh, change unhealthy patterns. We just feel locked in and locked up. The truth is that our effort to manage all this is all that is unresolved within us is draining our energy. And it's so hard to get out of that, isn't it? The first point is to recognize it and then to find a strategy to, to find healing and relief from that. But if we don't have regular time and space with God, then we will not give him access to the wounds in our lives. And we get weary from holding them in. And eventually, we will begin to fall apart. It's happening all, all over again. I'm right now filling in for a pastor of a church who simply hit the wall and burned out. And he didn't see it coming. He didn't see it coming. He was working, he was doing his best, doing very good, yeah, his strong leadership and doing really good things for the church. 
And one evening during one of our marathon four-hour leaders meetings, God, I've never had that anywhere in the world except in Sweden, four-hour meetings. But anyway, in the middle of the meeting, he just kind of collapsed. He said, I need to lay down. And we didn't expect it because he was a man of constant energy, one of those bubbly kind of guys, you know, and it's just like somebody pulled the plug. He just couldn't function anymore. And he's now on a long extended rehab. I don't think it will never happen to you. It can happen to all of us if we're not careful. And this is like one thing I believe is a great one. The burden of unhealed wounds, things from the past. We may be, and that's almost a joke. It's not we may be, we are <laughs> experiencing information overload. Do you know that our human brain was not designed for the information that we receive today? I personally like to watch news because I want to kind of be informed and know what's happening in, in this country I live in and in this world that we live in. But I realized that um, 10 minutes is enough per day. I don't need any more because I realize how much it wears me down. You know, so 100 years ago, the only news you had was uh, what happened in your, in your family and in your village, and possibly you heard some rumors from what was happening in the next village. You know, that was the only news we had. Now, we are carrying the news of the whole world, the atrocities, the suffering of mankind, and we see it on our televisions, on our phones. We see the suffering children. We see the blown up car bombs. We were not designed to carry that kind of grief. We weren't designed to deal with that. No one, no one should have to carry that. And so we kind of try to play it down and we try to shut down and kind of become numb. But it doesn't work. It affects us. It does affect us to see the constant bad news and to hear it over and over again. We were not created for so much information, especially negative information, which most of the time it is. And again, it makes us tired. It wears us out to, to carry these burdens. What can we do about the suffering children in Somalia? We can, but somehow, especially as Christians, we, we feel for them. We feel maybe compassion rise and we feel we should do something, but we don't know what. And so it adds to our exhaustion. One last one, and this one I have to explain. We may be stuck in our willfulness. <laughs> and let me explain what, what I mean by that. Willfulness describes our attempts to impose our own ideas on others establish our own agenda and control everything around us. We are all a little bit control freaks. <laughs> yes, we are. Some of us more than others. <laughs> but the refusal to accept what it means that we are constantly using energy to fight reality in favor of, of what exists only in our minds. It wears us out. And then, especially as Christians, we kind of camouflage it with God talk, convince ourselves that we are doing God's will, when sometimes we are simply insisting on having it our own way. <laughs> to make it very simple, we are like two-year-old toddlers that refuse to take a nap. 
you parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They are so tired. They are so grumpy. They are impossible to live with, but they resist to take a nap or go to bed. And we are like that sometimes. We are so tired. We are so grumpy. But we don't want to take a rest. Because what if, I, if I'm not around? The world will fall apart. What if I'm not you know, doing my job? Nothing will get done. And so we become more and more tired. So these are just some of the sources of our exhaustion. I'm sure there are many others that I don't have time to name. This is a paper I usually pass out when we have a retreat. Uh, just to help people kind of gauge themselves. Uh, you won't be able to read that, but basically I'm asking them to look honestly at their heart and to assess how tired they are. So how tired are you really? So on top is you're fully alert and energized. You feel on top of the world. No one, nothing can stop you. Okay. Then comes, I'm feeling okay. Things are good. There's just a little tinge of tiredness now and then. Next one, a bit weary and tired. You know that you could use a rest, but there's just so much going on to take a break. Fourth one, you're exhausted and empty. You're hanging in there doing what is expected, but deep down you wish things were different. And then the last one, dangerously tired. You have run on empty for a long time, and you sense that you're getting close to a physical, emotional, or spiritual burnout. And guess what? 80% of all the people that come to the retreat are in the bottom two, if they're honest with themselves. And I think it's a reflection of our society and our culture. Most of us are exhausted and empty, and some of us have become dangerously tired. And we don't know how to deal with that. And even in our church, we don't get much help for that, because they want us even more. We need someone to clean the toilets, and we need volunteers for this and for that, and how can I say no? I can't say no. And so we are in this treadmill, on this treadmill, we go down the spiral, and we need to understand that. And so, uh, yeah, um, now I'm, I've been talking about a lot of negative things, but I did that for a reason. I want us to understand the reality, because uh, the enemy doesn't want us to believe that, he doesn't want us to know that. But now, let's look for solutions. And I just have one suggestion, really. It's the, the thing about the retreat that I mentioned earlier, this strategic retreat. So, what could that look like? I'd like to give you some suggestions. Uh, Thomas Merton said something interesting. Some of us need to discover that we will not begin to live more fully until we have the courage to do and see and taste and experience much less than usual. There are times when in order to keep ourselves in existence at all, we simply have to sit back for a while and do nothing. And for a man who has let himself be drawn completely out of himself by his activity, nothing is more difficult than to sit still and rest, doing nothing at all. The very act of resting is the hardest and most courageous act he can perform. I think he's onto something. I know it from my own personality. I've said it before. If you want to punish me, send me to the beach. I'm good for about three days, and then I get restless. I can't sit still anymore. It's getting boring. I need to do something. 
it's the way I'm made, the way I function, it's not always good. I have to learn still today to really, really rest without letting my mind be bombarded with needs and problems and issues that need to be dealt with. It's really hard. It's really hard for me. I confess that. So what I'm suggesting to you is not something that I have mastered. It's something that I'm working on in my own life. Something that I deeply desire because I know it's the only way to come out of this spell and this this uh, curse that we live un- under in our present day. So this retreat thing, so what does it look like? What What do we do? You know, again, it's the first question, what do we do? Actually, we're not supposed to do anything. But again, we need to have some kind of guidelines because otherwise we can't handle it. So, some ideas. First of all, the retreat I'm talking about is not a vacation. It's not a day at the spa. It's not a day at the golf course. That's not what I'm talking about. We are talking about coming home to ourselves in God's presence and resting there. And God is waiting for us, continuing to hold out this invitation for rest. The only question is, will we say yes, or will we keep running the other way? So, okay, what can it look like? Well, let me give you some pointers here. Of course, you need to find your place. Timing. Um, I assume that for most of us, to have an extended retreat by our own is out of the question. (laughs) But start small. I started with half a day. And I mean really half a day. It means you actually shut off your phone or you don't bring it. And you find a place. And that could be anything. It could be in your own home if you can be assured that there will not be any distractions. Or you could go to the other extreme and book a monastery somewhere. Or find a cottage in the woods or ask someone to use theirs. Or take a car, drive somewhere and just sit in nature. I mean, you use your creativity. But find a place. Jesus had that. He, it says that he always went to the hills to pray. And repeatedly he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was not... The first time he went there when he prayed, you know, and, and had this agony before crucifixion, it says that he had been there before many times. So he had his places. You need to find your places, one or several. Be creative. Pray about it. Find something that works for you. Set aside time. Start with half a day and totally unplug. Seriously, really unplug. And it's harder to do than you think, isn't it? No one can reach you. What if something happens? You're not available. If they call you, they get just, they get the voicemail. If, if they message you, you don't respond. The world is falling apart. That's exactly what we need to do. The second thing is, is find your rhythm. Isn't it amazing that as human beings, everything in life is about rhythm? Every heartbeat I, in my chest, every, every breath I take, every brain wave, it's all in a rhythm. 
We have a rhythm for eating. We have a rhythm for sleeping. We are living in a, in, in a nature that is full of rhythms, our seasons. We are created for rhythm. And we have it, except we don't think we need it in our spiritual life. For some reason we think, that's one area where I don't need rhythm. And that's why so many of us struggle with finding this connection with God. Because we think, ah, oh, it'll just come when it comes, you know, when it's convenient and when I have a little break, then I can maybe connect with God. And we all know how that turns out. It usually means very little in reality. So on, the, on retreat, you have the opportunity to really make yourself a rhythm. Say, okay, I'm going to, whatever, pray three times or, or read so many chapters or just sit so long. Start building a rhythm in your life. When I was a young believer, I was quite, what's the word? Um, I had a hard time reconciling with the traditions of the old church. So I didn't like anything that smelled like liturgy. I didn't like anything that seemed structured. I wanted it to be free and spontaneous and spirit-led. And, and I'm discovering as I get older that actually... Um, we've lost something very valuable. Did you know that all the people in the Bible, from the Old to the New Testament, had set times of prayer? It said it uh, in Psalm 55, I call upon God evening, morning, and noon. I utter my complaint and moan, and he will hear my voice. We read about David, Daniel, Jesus, Peter, Paul. They all practiced fixed hours of prayer, usually three times a day. The early church never stopped doing that. At some point in church history, we stopped doing that. And it's not in any way destroying us, but it actually helps to have a rhythm for our soul. Just as we have a rhythm for our bodies. We know when to eat. We know when to take showers. We know when we should exercise, and so on. The same is true for our soul and for our spirit. So, on retreat, you can start practicing, maybe, implementing some kind of a rhythm in your life. Let go of your grip. That may be the hardest thing you will ever do. What happens on retreat is that, you know, we turn it over to God. He's in control. And that sometimes it's, it's really hard to do, to let him lead this time without us coming with an agenda. And God, I would like this and this and this to happen while I set aside time to be with you. But really let him be in control. Interesting verse in Psalm 46. We all know it. Be still and know that I am God. Right? Do you know what that really means? Be still. The Hebrew word means to let go of our grip. And to know is that intimate knowing between God and us. So basically what he's saying, what God is saying, let go of your grip. And let me love you intimately. That's really what it means. That's a tall order, isn't it? But that's exactly what we can do on retreat. Because we probably will not have the time, energy to do it anywhere else. So for a season, we can break the attachments that we have. Attachments to our family. Attachments to our work, to our church, our ministry. And really put God first. This is really, really hard. And then we learn that 
We belong to God in a different way than we belong to our family. We belong to God in a different way than we belong to our ministry. This is something actually not natural to think. But during retreat, that really comes out more and more. Because now I'm detached from my family. I'm detached from my spouse. I'm detached from my friends, my church, my workplace. Uh, it's just God and me. Just God and me. It can be a scary thing. Just God and me. But we know ultimately that he loves us so much. And then this is, I like this one. The ministry of absence. It's actually a, a term, um, maybe not like that in the Bible, but we see it in the Bible. Because we always think that things don't work without us. We don't understand that sometimes it's better that we are not around. And that's what Jesus said to his disciples. You know, it's better for you that I go. And said, what? What? You're going? You go, no, don't go. It's better for you. No, it can't be any better than this. Yes, it can be. I will go so that the comfort of the Holy Spirit can come. It will be better for you. Paul did the unspeakable, which goes against every church planting book that you will ever read. He planted a church, he stayed there for a year, and then he took off. He was gone for a few years, and then he said, Timothy, go and see who became the leader. It's crazy. The ministry of absence. He knew that if he would stay, no leader would develop, because he was so strong as a leader. He knew that if he would go away, true leadership would come out from within their own ranks. And then he just went and blessed it. And it worked, apparently. So don't think that the world will fall apart if you're not present, it's good for them sometimes to have you gone for a while. And it's something uh, very humiliating, but very, very true. It's also called creative withdrawal. <laughs> Let go of false self-patterns. We, Like I said earlier, we are addicted to human striving, hard work, performance-oriented, and so on. And so we have created patterns that are not always healthy. There's a connection between the discomfort we feel when we stop our relentless human striving and our addiction to activity. We feel useless on retreat initially. We feel like we're doing something wrong. We can almost feel guilty for taking that time and just not really doing anything other than being with God. And it, it breaks down the patterns of how we feel our life has to function. So it requires that we let go of all attempts to fill the void in the usual ways so that we can look into our loneliness and emptiness long enough to find God there. We all have this default way of dealing with emptiness. Whenever we feel empty in any way in our heart, we know that now I need something to fill that. And we should be smarter than that, but we are not. We fill it with all kinds of things. I need to watch television. I, I, I need to go, you know, um, drink coffee. I need to go drink a glass of wine. I need to go see a movie. I need to go shopping. I mean, we all have these default things that we do when we feel empty. And it's so silly that we don't know the best way to fill the emptiness, of course, is being with God. We know that deep down, but, but we have kind of pushed it aside. We don't even know how to do that anymore. And so we fill our emptiness with things that are not always helpful. 
Certainly not in our relationship with God. They can even be harmful. They can be addictive. They can even be destructive. And so, on retreat, you know, you, you don't have the option to turn on Netflix. You don't have the option to, to, to go and, and, and have a beer or something. You just, you just be with God alone. Maybe you're even fasting. Wow, wouldn't that be something? Fasting. And all of a sudden, you know, the only way I can fill this emptiness that I feel right now is, is with God. And he's just waiting for that. He's just waiting for us to recognize that. And say, let, let me come and fill you with what really satisfies. With what you actually really need right now. It's more of my spirit and my presence in your heart. So, letting go of our self-patterns, the false ones. Let the chaos settle. Waiting on God, resting in God, allowing God to be God in my life is transforming. We are moving so fast that we find ourselves making decisions sometimes totally aside from the will of God. We've no longer, we don't know anymore what it means to, to be guided and led by God. And we need to know that God's presence is in the ordinary. So retreat is an ideal Time to drop beneath the surface and pay attention to the spirit of things in my life. Where I'm moving the good and where I might need to move away from. That's when God starts talking, showing us things that maybe need to be changed in our lives. Almost done here. Invitation to recalibrate. Um, yeah, some of you guys that have been messing with computers for many years, you, you remember the time when you had to when you had to reboot your hard drive, <laughs> reset your hard drive and all that. Well, that's a little bit what it's like, is to uh, start honest questions. Who do I want to be? And how do I want to live my life? How do I want to live so that I can be the person God created me to be, which is in the end who I want to be? Take notice of what's working and what's not. What still fits and what doesn't fit anymore. Sometimes we are stuck in traditions that are no longer helpful. Most importantly, whether our sacred rhythms are consistent with desire that we are experiencing right now. So we are called to take responsibility for the stewarding of our lives in response to the, to the desire that God has placed within us. One of the things I thank God for every single day is this, the desire he's given me the hunger he's given me, because I know I can produce it. I wish there was a button where you could just, just turn on hunger for God, but we, we don't have it. But whenever you feel any kind of desire and hunger for God, you know it is a gift from him. And we need to treasure it with all our heart. And on these times away with God, that's when he can rekindle that and, and switch out you know, some of the desires in our hearts and say, you know, this one actually doesn't come from me. Let it, let it, let it go. And he puts in a desire that is from him that will guide us back on the track that he had planned for us way before we were even born. And now one last one here. Find your spiritual freedom. I don't know how many times I was stuck spiritually. Because of teaching I received that I thought was the ultimate truth. And I had to recognize one day, actually, this is not serving me at all. I remember a time being stuck in legalism. 
and as a result starting to judge other people because they didn't live up to the standard that I had set. And I, I didn't realize how destructive that was for my soul and how much it disappointed the heart of God because he does not judge. And so I had to let go of patterns and, and, and claim freedom, spiritual freedom, in some areas of my life that, that just didn't exist. But it's the strategy of the evil one to even use good things against us. Did you know that sometimes your best gift can be your greatest enemy? Is there something you can do really, really good? Well, you don't need God for that. And so you start acting out of your own self without dependency on God. And that's never a good thing. So... Yes, we are grateful for the gifts God has given us and we need to nurture them and we need to be grateful for them, but they can become actually our greatest enemy if we're not careful. And again, during this time away with God, he can put his finger on that and say, you know, I gave you this gift, now don't abuse it. Be aware that I have given you this gift and do exercise it for my glory, for instance. If we only use our gifts so we do not disappoint the people we love and care around us the most, then we are stuck in a pattern and we are not really free. Let me finish with just a couple of questions and then we are done. Um, there are some final questions I think you should ask. What is God showing me that I can freely let go of so that I can live the rhythms of patterns he's calling me to do? Are there things in your life that you could actually do without? The word would not fall apart. Your life, your family, your church, your work would not fall apart if you would let go of something. Make, take note of that. Take it home with you. Talk to God about it. Does the way I am living day to day correspond to the deepest desire in my heart? That is a loaded, loaded question. The way I live my life, is it really the way I want to live my life? And I realize that sometimes, because of decisions we made, we may feel like we are stuck. We may feel like we have en you know, ended up in a, in a, what do you call it, uh, what do you call it, end of the road thingy, uh, dead end it's called. <laughs> you end up, you know, where you just feel you can't move in any other direction, but that's not true. There's always another direction. God can redeem our bad decisions. God can redeem our, our flaws, our faults. And he will never give up on using us the way that he intended to use us before he made us. So it's never too late. It may be on a different time frame than what God had thought. But he is ultimately in charge and control of our lives. Am I ordering my days around the purposes God has for me? Can I do that? Do I start my day with God? Do I end my day with God? In the past, I've been talking about spiritual disciplines and exercises that can help us to do that. That's not our topic for today. But there are tools available that can help us to do that well. Are there any cha changes that need to be made so that I can live the life God has for me? Wow takes courage. Change always takes courage. It can be messy. But sometimes we need to do drastic changes 
so that we can live the life that God has for us. And we know this is the life he has for me. So these are some, some questions for you to take home. Uh, a last thought here. When we, when we drove down here from Stockholm, we crossed over Utah Canal. And you know in all these channels, they have what's called locks. Because of the, the difference in altitude, the ship needs to go into the lock. It turns off its engines, the propeller stops, the canal doors are shut, the vessel just sits there, and new levels of water flow in, and everything is lifted. And when the door opens, the boat goes out in a new attitude, carried up, not by anything it has done, but by the lifting power all around it. That's what happens on retreat. It's like driving into a lock, letting God lift you up, and then you drive out again, and you are on a different plane. You have a different attitude. Something has broken loose in your heart and you can experience more depth in your life. The main purpose of retreat is simply to be in the presence. And the greatest aim is to have uninterrupted closeness to God. And this is so true. Nothing we could do for ourselves comes even close to what God can do for us in the context of retreat. There are things that we can do for our bodies. There are things like going to the spa or playing golf that are actually beneficial. But nothing we can do for ourselves can surpass what can happen to us in this season of retreat. So I want to leave you with that. I want to challenge you to think that through and start small. Don't expect too much of yourself. Don't say, yeah, I'm going on a four-week retreat. Maybe that's not realistic at this point in time. Start with half a day. Find your place and, and just try it. Say, God, here I am. I don't know what I'm doing, but I dedicate this time for you. I actually shut off my phone, God. No one can call you. No one can reach me. Only you can reach me right now. Isn't that awesome? No one can distract me. It's just God who can distract me. And see what happens. And I promise you, it will change your life. It will help you to, to a greater understanding of, of what he has for you. That's ultimately what we want. And here just one last bit of advertisement. I'm, I will be leading a retreat in October in a beautiful, beautiful place in the, in the archipelago outside of Stockholm. And so it's from Friday to Sunday. And of course it's something we do in a group, but there will be plenty of personal time to maybe start practicing some of these things. If you're interested, you can let me know. Um, I can yeah, tell you how to get in touch. It's just something I love to do. And I found this beautiful place that it's, it's really uh, very, very special and peaceful, right by the water. And uh, I think God will bless us there. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are so concerned about our heart and soul. And thank you, Lord, that you are coming with a wake-up call, helping us to understand that we are living in great danger, and that what's happening to us right now is not, it's not normal. It's not right. And that we are indeed being manipulated by the enemy on a path that will ultimately lead us further away from you. And in your mercy, you're reaching out to us and you're calling us back. And you say to us, come and rest with me for a while. And Lord, I, we hear that invitation loud and clear. 
And now help us to act on it. Help us to really plan for it. And watch you come and change our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Vineyard Nordic podcast. For more information, please visit the Vineyard Nordic's website, vineyardnordic.org.